Welcome to Church Ahead, the weekly Christian podcast talking about big questions facing the future of church with Rev L all the way from the north of England. Episode 47, Cross Us. Can a true Christian ever relax, put their feet up and enjoy life? We've considered how the centrality of crucifixion affects both Jesus and God. Now I want to survey the implication for us. When the church raised the profile importance of Jesus' death after 800, the experience of being a Christian changed quite profoundly. I want to set out some of those changes and describe what effect this still has on Christians today. Placing violent death at the centre of Christian theology and worship has had a huge effect on the lives of the foot soldiers in this great religion. It's shaped our view of how life works. It's formed our expectations about what good people experience. It's coloured our outlook. It's provided the mood music for life on earth, under this God and after this Jesus. It's created the feel of Christianity for many church people and for those outside of church. Today I'm going to set out two of the ways putting Jesus' death at the centre of our faith affects us. First, obsession with the death of Jesus leads to an obsession with death in our own lives. Death is an important part of life. Coming to terms with mortality is an important spiritual challenge. Awareness of the reality of death is healthier than death denial. The question is the degree of emphasis and attention we give to death. Few contemporary Europeans think Christianity gives death a sensible place in the landscape of life. The way Jesus' life story is told by the canonical Gospels is bad enough. In these stories, Jesus' death is not merely the terminus of his life, but the climax. Few of us are happy to see our lives as building gradually to the high point of death. This topography of life's progression may suit soldiers who die in combat. It may be relevant to the modest number of people who experience death as a great personal drama. But most of us will struggle to see our life pattern in this narrative. At least the Gospel writers said a bit about Jesus' life before death. Since the Middle Ages, the evolved Christian message has often overlooked any life story and given us only the death story. Some pious Christians can see their own death as the most important part of their life. For most of us, death is the far boundary of life, but it's not the high point or the main drama, certainly not the centre. The main thing about life is life. The way the church tells the life story of Jesus suggests the main thing is death. The Roman Catholic prayer, Hail Mary, prays to the Mother of God for help now and in the hour of our death. Why the hour of our death? Why not the hour of our work or play or rest or love or any number of other important parts of life? Who says the hour of our death is the critical test during the span of our lives? 
perhaps an earlier generation of Christians who thought that mouthing the right words and beliefs at the point of death would determine their eternal destiny, could make more sense of this. In 21st century Europe, people are more likely to end their days with dementia and an inability even to remember what they believed in the days of better mental health. Hail Mary reflects the view of cross-centred Christianity in placing excessive emphasis on the place of death within life. When Christians say the most important thing about Jesus was his death, this suggests that death is the most important part of life in every human drama. It's no coincidence that 19th century opera plots building up to the hero or heroine's death, it's usually a woman, were formed in a deeply Christian culture. Verdi's La Traviata or Puccini's Madame Butterfly, to name but two of the best-known final act death scenes from Italian and French opera respectively. Austrian Mozart's Don Giovanni finishes with the villain falling into the pit of hell and the German Wagner's Ring Cycle ends 15 hours of music with the killing of Siegfried and then Brunhilde immolating herself as she rides into the fire to die with her beloved. You could say that like opera, Christianity dramatises the experience of death. But increasingly, the Christian story feels like an operatic melodrama in building up towards death. Look at how biography has evolved. 21st century biography doesn't dwell on the subject's death. Each generation is drawn to different themes as we record what we think is important in a human lifespan. We don't define women by their husband's occupation. And male or female, we're not very interested in the detail of people's death. An untimely or tragic death will deserve special attention. But for the majority of people, great or ordinary, we're not very interested in how they approached their death. Whether they were tough and fearless, or whether they cried like a baby, whether they cursed or blessed God, we're not really that interested in that aspect of human experience. We know that dying is harder for some than others, but we're not really very interested. What we're interested in is how did they live? A. N. Wilson's biography of Russian writer Leo Tolstoy, 2012 edition, summarises the family battles at the end of his life in just a few pages. And he says this on page 500. Two of the greatest Tolstoy biographies of the 20th century both devote infinitely more space to Tolstoy's dotage than to the days of his prime, end of quote. A great historical figure will inevitably inspire lots of biographies down the ages. Contemporary biographers consciously shift their emphasis away from dying, even for a big subject like Tolstoy, whose decline and death was quite dramatic, Compared with earlier generations, we want to know much more how they lived rather than how they died. Don Cupid points out how language has changed around funerals in modern Britain. Increasingly, the thing to say about someone who's died after living anything other than the shortest duration is, 
they lived life to the full. And the perception is that church talks about death, which is why people don't want church funerals. Earlier generations spent more of their life aware of dying. Although people live longer, chronic illness before death is shortening in both duration and painfulness. Disability rates among those aged over 65 are falling in all developed countries. As Matt Ridley says in The Rational Optimist, the compression of morbidity means that people not only spend a longer time living, but a shorter time dying. Palliative care means that even when they are dying, the pain is no longer all-consuming. So there are medical reasons why we don't spend as much of our lives focused on death. Let me finish this section on obsession with death by setting out for you two very different visions. Here's the first vision. I think I'm a typical child of my age in seeing life as a large field through which I'm walking. Behind me is the gate I came in through. And although I can't quite spot it, I know that somewhere in front of me is the gate of exit. The field is beautiful and very big. There are grass and flowers, birds in the trees. There's lots of space all around me and lots of beauty. I know the field has a boundary. At some point I will come to the end of it. But for now, I skip along, waving my arms in the air, relieved that no one can hear the song I'm singing. I'm high on the thrill of life. Not all the field is fun, there are some prickly hedges and difficult ditches. But overall, it's a pretty good field to be in. I thank God for the legs to walk it. I can't see God in the field, but I have to thank someone. That is actually how I see my life. But I sometimes feel that Christianity pulls me towards a very different vision. In this vision, I'm trudging round and round a killing field of bloodshed. All around me, people are slaughtering each other. Some are injuring themselves. Others are singing about death. At the centre of this field is a large cross on which Jesus is dying. We march in rotation around his cross. Our gaze is fixed on the cross. No one is very interested in the field. We hardly notice it. Other than the cross, the only thing people look at is the exit gate, which is so wide it runs round most of the field. One by one, people turn away from the cross and rush through the field for the exit. Before we look at the church's obsession with pain, let me remind you of my question at the top of the show. Can a true Christian ever relax and enjoy life? Now I want you to meet Sean, who is our next bus passenger. Sean's been a Roman Catholic priest for 30 years. He's on a bus taking him back to Liverpool from a few weeks rehab at the Archdiocese Retreat Centre in North Wales. It's not the first time he's been sent there. OK, it's the eighth time. 
and this recent breakdown was not all that different from the seven others. Working too hard, allowing the drink to creep up and not enough rest. A spiral of work and drink and drink and work until he just can't function. The change of scene has done him good. The people who run these retreats these days are a sensible, humane bunch who understand the pressures of priesthood. As he looks out of the bus window at the last Welsh hills, he says, yes, it's been a good month, and he feels quite ready to go back to the coalface. But as the bus dawdles along a busy shopping street in the suburbs of Liverpool, he looks at the people rushing around and he says to himself, Christ died for you. How can I think about nothing but myself for a whole month? And then the bus goes through the inner city and the people he sees look needier. You can tell just by the way they walk. These are the sort of people he's used to and his eyes well up in compassion for them. He can tell just by looking all the things weighing them down on the inside. And so he gets off the bus in the centre of Liverpool with renewed energy to serve his people. But a voice inside him says, How long, Sean, till you're back on this bus going the other way? I think the church's obsession with Jesus' death leads to an obsession with pain. There is a sense in which the crucifixion story presents Jesus as heroically suffering for a good cause. He's the gold standard of painful sacrifice, shining a searching light on all lesser, more worldly lives. We're aware that his suffering was monumental. By implication, the moral challenge is thrown out to us to do likewise. At least one gospel passage makes this challenge absolutely explicit. In a blazing round with Peter, Jesus warns, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Mark 8.34 And so the cross is the template of self-denial required of every Christian. Jesus' agony in crucifixion was, in this sense, not exceptional. It was the normal standard of behaviour expected of all Christians everywhere. Self-sacrifice does not register in this religion until it hurts. Stigmata is the Latin word for the wounds to the ankles and wrists caused by crucifixion, or perhaps the wish to be crucified. St Francis of Assisi was the first notable victim. Many others have made similar claims, including the pouring out of blood which is heightened by taking Holy Communion. No one thought to make such claims before artists began to depict the crucifixion in 13th century Europe. Stigmata are seen as the mark of real holiness and closeness to God. Christianity is suspicious of anyone who claims to be close to God who hasn't suffered significant pain. There is a sense in which only the martyr is the real Christian. In a sense, it's far worse than this because the Christian martyr must not only give their life, but die slowly and painfully. Their life must be lived as a slow-motion crucifixion. This is much subtler than 
terrorist recruitment for suicide bombers. And here the young Christian man is not promised a special reward of multiple virgins waiting for him in heaven. He must take up his cross daily and tomorrow and for the rest of his life on earth for no greater reward than simply being a Christian. This is the normal entry-level commitment for all Christians. Christians don't generally advocate self-harm or masochism. Suffering is supposed to be for a cause, not for its own sake. But sadomasochism has frequently popped up in Christian spirituality, especially monastic. Whips, clamps and devices designed to inflict pain have been part of preparation for Easter. When I was 19, I spent the summer in Israel. One of the things I did was to walk all the way around Lake Galilee. I wanted to experience the landscape Jesus knew. But to do the journey by anything so easy as a bus would have been unthinkable. I had to walk. I had to carry all my belongings on my back under the full force of the Middle Eastern sun in August with nowhere to stay at night, certainly no bed, and a very low budget for food. Now, I'm not naturally tough or physically heroic. The way I saw it was, if Jesus could carry a cross for me, I could carry a backpack for him. Yes, it hurt, but that was the point. That was a large part of the spiritual experience. Christians are often suspicious of pleasure with a preference for pain. Consider how this plays out amongst different types of emotional makeup. Here I see an analogy with the other big bad Christian theme of sin. Strong, characters, secure and successful people can find the concept of sin brings a useful corrective to their natural overconfidence. The problem is that whilst confidence in secure people generally ignore sin, it's of much greater interest to more vulnerable souls who could benefit from a higher view of themselves, not lower. Similarly, I think that carrying the cross is more appealing to people who are already, by nature, conscientious and hard-working. Slackers don't relate to this idea. Those who are already working too hard and giving too much of themselves away are precisely the people who respond. And so the moral challenge is not well targeted. Not good enough is the default scorecard for all Christians. You can tame lions or convert whole countries. You can work tirelessly for a good, better or best cause. You can endure insult, injury and degradation worse than any man could devise. But so what? Your meagre sacrifice falls a long way short of the standard demonstrated by Jesus. No Christian has ever matched up to the standard of the cross. Every Christian life is a failure. No Christian professional can ever finish a day of work and say to themselves, I've given my all and now I deserve some rest and some play. She's not given enough until she's given her life, the whole of it. No layperson can say, I've done my bit for the church this year. It was quite a slog, but now for some fun.
Carrying the cross does not allow for holidays. So what do you think then? What's the answer to my question at the top of the show? Can the true Christian ever relax and enjoy life? I think the depressing answer is no, they can't. Not if Jesus' death is the most important thing about him. Yes, I'm afraid you've got me. I failed to finish this series in five. So next week, the sixth and final in our series about the cross, we'll look at what the violence of the cross does for us.